From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm feeling very patriotic today. How are you feeling, Michael? I'm doing well. Yes, I know. We um, this week, the United States observed President's Day. Yes, so that's why. And- well, like, patriotic? Yeah, and, and like the president, I did not take the day off on President's Day, and I continued <laughs> to work through the entire day, so I had to celebrate President's Day in my heart only. Uh, but that's okay. That, I'm used to that at that point. So I get, I get Christmas and Thanksgiving off. That's what's important. Yes. Well, yeah, I had to work that day as well. But but I am impressed that you dressed up as your favorite president. Who would have thought it was Grover Cleveland? Sure. <laughs> as if I, you know, I, I wish I could say during the Hall of Presidents, I pay attention when every president lights up. And I, I know the image of them off the top of my head without having to think about it at all. But that would just be a bold-faced lie. So I was hoping you were going to go with Lincoln. At least I could Uh, lie about that. Well, you're the same height, anyway. Exactly. And I I do like hats, so it all works. And a beard. Yes. Well, for our listeners unfamiliar with the holiday, uh, President's Day is celebrated on the third Monday in February. It was originally established in 1885 in recognition of President George Washington and is traditionally celebrated on February 22nd, which is Washington's actual date of birth. Uh, The holiday became popularly known as President's Day after it was moved as part of 1971's Uniform Monday Holiday Act, with the purpose of creating more three-day weekends for the nation's workforce. Uh, Several states still have individual holidays honoring the birthdays of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and other important people in our nation's history. Um, President's Day is now popularly viewed as a day to celebrate all past and present U.S. presidents. So in celebration of President's Day, Craig and I are going to take you through the history of the Hall of Presidents in the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square at Walt Disney World. This, Although this attraction opened more than five years after Walt's passing, the idea for this attraction was Walt's. Ever since I was a small boy in Illinois, I have had a great personal admiration for Abraham Lincoln, said Walt Disney on December 18, 1966 episode of his Wonderful World of Color television show. On this episode, Disneyland Around the Seasons, Walt talked about the first decade of Disneyland and the beginning of its second decade. In a recap of recent new attractions at the park, Walt highlighted great moments with Mr. Lincoln 
on Disneyland's Main Street, USA. He's the great American, Walt Disney said at the opening of the attraction at the Disneyland Opera House on July 18, 1965, as a highlight of the park's tencennial celebration. Whether he'd been a Democrat or Republican in those days, he'd still be the great American to me. He was a fellow that before making a decision gathered everything he could, every fact he could. He never jumped to any decisions. Now, Abraham Lincoln was an influence on Walt Disney from his early years. On Lincoln's birthday, when Walt was in fifth grade, Walt used cardboard and black shoe polish to convert his father's derby hat into a stovepipe hat. He borrowed his father's church deacon black coat, added crepe paper hair to his chin, and a wart on his cheek. And Walt had memorized the Gettysburg Address and dressed as President Lincoln and recited it perfectly to his class. Principal James Cottingham was so impressed with Walt's performance, he had Walt recite the Gettysburg Address in every classroom. Walt repeated this on Lincoln's birthday each year until his graduation five years later. Now, does this mean that Walt Disney originated the class productions of going through the history of the presidents that all kids have to suffer through now? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But but Walt loved it. He got um, he added more, let's say, pizzazz. To his performance every single year. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love the idea of this. It's, mm-hmm. if only there were videos of this out there, if that technology existed at the time and we could, we could see this, because I have to imagine it was something to behold. Oh, yeah. And there are photos of him dressed up as, when he was a little boy, as, you know, Lincoln. Huh. I don't think I've honestly ever seen any of them. Yeah, they're out there. They have them at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Just keep rubbing it in my face. (laughs) Well, that's why you have to come out. One day. Yeah. Now, Walt's patriotism, it was a motivation throughout his life. Uh, Walt altered his birth certificate when he was 16 to show he was a year older so he could volunteer for the American Ambulance Corps during World War I. Uh, During World War II, Walt put all his studio's resources behind the war effort to make training films and public service announcements. The studio also designed more than 1,400 insignia for military units, and although it cost the studio $25 to produce each insignia, Walt absorbed this cost as part of his contribution to the war effort, because he said, those kids grew up on Mickey Mouse. I owed it to them. Now, Walt created uh, films of American folk heroes like Pecos Bill, Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, and Casey Jones as their heroes, and ones based on American fiction like Casey at the Bat, Ben and Me, and Little Hiawatha. Yeah. Oh, Well, I, I don't know about you, but that's how I learned about a lot of the uh, folk heroes is through the Disney animated pieces. Yeah, and also for me, through the little golden books that they created based on these pieces. Yeah, no, they're, it's, I don't, I, I'm sure I still would have found out about them if it wasn't for Walt, but that was, mm-hmm. that was definitely a big part of it. And then I was lucky enough to uh, grow up with the movie, the live action movie that they made in the 90s based on the folk heroes. 
which mm-hmm. I can't even think of the name right now, and it's going to drive me insane for oh, the rest of I this know, recording. I know which one you mean, and I can even see the DVD. Yeah, it's got <laughs> yeah. the the twister on the front of the mm-hmm. cover, and he's lassoing it. I, I'm just going to look it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you keep so, talking. Okay. And Well, speaking of live-action films, Walt also produced uh, live-action films based on the American West, you know, like Johnny Tremaine, The Great Locomotive Chase, and Westward Ho, The Wagons. And Walt's interest in sharing American folklore was also shared with audiences tuning into his weekly television show, with episodes based on stories of the Swamp Fox, Johnny Shiloh, of course, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Texas John Slaughter, and El Fago Baca. And Walt said, There are many moments in American history that I think would be good for all of us to understand and appreciate. Now, after sharing stories of American history in film and television, when he began planning Disneyland, Walt brought the ideals of American culture and nostalgia to life on Main Street USA and Frontierland for guests to experience and appreciate where America had come from, and Tomorrowland, where Americans could experience an optimistic vision of America's future potential. And shortly after Disneyland opened, Walt began planning several additions to his park, including Liberty Square. Now, before we jump into that, because I know everyone's on the edge of their seat, I do have to butt in with the name of the movie. Can't believe I couldn't remember it. It's Tall Tale. And it starred Patrick Swayze as Pecos Bill, Oliver Platt as Paul Bunyan, and a bunch of other great actresses. And actors, you know, Catherine O'Hara, Jared Harris, just a a lot of good people. And I was even wrong about the cover. They were up in the clouds, but Mm -hmm. not in a tornado. I got that wrong. (laughs) What what a child's mind will come up with. That was a fun film, though. It was. No, I I watched it many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Walt's enthusiasm for Disneyland was in part due to his ability to tell stories in three dimensions rather than two, which is one of the reasons the first Imagineers had backgrounds in motion picture production and applied the art of filmmaking to this new concept of designing a theme park. And as we discussed in episode 35 of Connecting with Walt about the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square, an idea for a side street expansion Walt Disney had for Disneyland's Main Street USA called Liberty Street was to be themed to the original 13 colonies of the United States in 1776. And Walt believed an increasing number of Americans, especially children, did not understand nor appreciate their patriotic heritage. The purpose of Liberty Street would be to provide guests with a better understanding and greater pride for their country. So planning for Liberty Street began in 1957, shortly after the theatrical release of Johnny Tremaine, with an anticipated opening date for 1959. Now, concepts for Liberty Street included a recreation of Independence Hall with a Liberty Bell that would be constantly tolling. I I think that would get old soon. Um, Guests would enter Independence Hall, sometimes called Liberty Hall in plans, to visit two attractions. The Hall of the Declaration of Independence, in which the dramatic story of the birth of the United States would be presented in tableaus. 
and the Hall of Presidents of the United States. It would feature the show One Nation Under God, in which narrations by U.S. presidents would tell the history of the United States as guests viewed a Circarama film of significant events in our history. And this attraction would be heavily dependent on new audio-animatronic figure technology, which was in very early development at this time. Also on Liberty Street would be a blacksmith shop, an apothecary, glassmaker, weaver, print shop, insurance shop, silversmith, and cabinet maker. And all the shops and exhibits would be themed to the types of jobs and crafts common in colonial America. And the shops would also be living history exhibits, similar to Colonial Williamsburg. So the shopkeepers would not only sell their wares, but they would also practice their crafts for guests to enjoy and learn. So determined to find a corporate sponsor to underwrite the cost of the Hall of Presidents, Walt had his Imagineers build a full-scale version of one figure from the show. Abraham Lincoln, in the hope that when potential sponsors saw one of these robotic presidents, they would want to be associated with the attraction. So Walt told his biographer, Bob Thomas, I'm trying to interest big companies to sponsor it because I want the attraction to be free. Being the showman, Walt had his Imagineer set up a manually controlled version of the Lincoln figure that could stand up and shake the hand of any potential sponsor. Now, around this time, initial planning for the 1964-65 World's Fair in New York City was underway. And Walt was well aware of the opportunities an exhibition like the New York World's Fair would offer his company. When Robert Moses, the developer and president of the fair, arranged for a visit to the Walt Disney Studio to meet Walt Disney, Walt asked him if he would like to meet Mr. Lincoln. Moses gave me a funny look, Walt remembered, and I said, come on in and meet him. So when we walked in the door, I said, Mr. Lincoln, meet Mr. Moses. And Lincoln stood up and put his hand out, and Moses went over and shook hands with him. Well, Moses is quite a showman, and he said, I've got to have Lincoln at the fair. But I said this is five years away anyway, but Moses wouldn't take no for an answer. The next thing I knew, he had gotten together with the state of Illinois and was trying to sell them on a pavilion. Before I knew it, I had my arm twisted, and I said yes. We now had to get Mr. Lincoln on the road, I think, in about 13 months. I, I don't think there was much arm twisting here. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have been in their shoes back then. And, you know, now we have so many animatronics to see something like that happen. It wouldn't be surprising at all. But to, to see this for the very first time, it, it just must have been jaw-dropping. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Absolutely. And when you think of what else was going on at the studio, they were working on multiple pavilions. Yeah. You know, at the time, plus the films they were making and dealing with Disneyland. And they didn't even have It's a Small World yet. Exactly. To work on. So, um, so it's it, it was amazing what was going on. I mean, you know, we've had... Um, Floyd Norman and and you know Bob Gurr talk about what an exciting time this was, you know at the at the studio and it, yeah it really must have been because they were 
they were creating things that had never been done before. Yeah, no, it's yeah. if I could if I could have lived through this time period, mm-hmm. that would have been amazing to just see the, everything that was happening. The other thing that's remarkable too, I've always thought of this, is that he Walt had like animators and artists creating things in three dimensions and mechanical things. All this, I mean, talk about stretching their talents and their expertise and all of that i mean you know it's just amazing what he had these folks do when you think that the original imagineers a lot of them came right from the animation side of the the company you know no it's these these men and women were remarkable yeah no i that's part of what blows my mind about it all the time i don't want to uh I don't want to say anything negative about my generation or any of the ones who have come after me, but considering even when I was going to like high school, uh, there definitely was not a sincere focus on shop class and learning mechanics besides just the theory of it and stuff in like physics. But I, I think we are just a society now that is so hands off unless you have the the willingness to learn that it's just it's kind of it's kind of sad so it's, oh it is we we were doing such a dis- as a teacher you know as a former teacher yeah. i we do such a disservice to our young people because we we don't teach them that working in the crafts is such a rich Future, I mean, is such rich careers because they're the ones that make the world work. Exactly, and and I and I am not good with my hands, and I I admire people that are no that, I... can, that, that do plumbing <laughs> and electrical work and can build things. I just think it's amazing. I that they can do that. I am not <laughs> either. I try, and most of the time I fail, but I do. <laughs> I do enjoy the nice uh, the nice feeling of success when mm-hmm. something I actually try to to fix or build goes goes correctly. But you know, then there's other times where I I pretend that Craig can play with electricity and and fix things that mm-hmm. are way out of his knowledge base by like working backwards, and that's when I I start fires. Mm-hmm. But that's only happened once. <laughs> but yeah, for our young people who are listening, if your gift and talent is in the trades, you can have a very, very good future. Yes. So keep that in mind. So I'm telling you as a teacher, keep that in mind. And, you know, and, and um, like I said, there there are jobs out there for you. Mm-hmm. So anyway. So anyway. Um, well, so getting so getting back to our story here about folks that worked with their hands, um, you know, um, Robert Moses uh, worked diligently to find sponsors, uh, but he was turned down by all, including um, the United States government and the Coca Cola Company, and they had just turned down sponsorship of the of the Enchanted Tiki Room. Yeah, so they yeah. they struck out twice here. Um, finally, uh, the state of Illinois, which was not able to obtain the necessary funding to sponsor an attraction at the fair until early 1963 was seeking an attraction to sponsor and so abraham lincoln finally had a sponsor 
So given the short time left before the opening of the World Fair, uh, Walt Disney and his Imagineers did not have the time to build audio-animatronic figures of all the other presidents. So the concept was reduced from the Hall of Presidents to Abraham Lincoln, appearing in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Um, When it finally opened at the fair, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was a sensation. The 496-seat theater was routinely filled to capacity, and according to a Disney status report, the attraction was one of the very few that draws spontaneous applause at the end of each show. Now, although Liberty Street never did come to California, in 1971, the new Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom debuted Liberty Square. Its central attraction, the Hall of Presidents, featuring an oration by Abraham Lincoln. Now, with Walt's unexpected passing in 1966, plans were still in the concept phase for the Disney World Resort in Florida, which is later renamed Walt Disney World by Walt's brother Roy. Without Walt to guide them, the Disney Studio staff, artists, and Imagineers had the enormous task of master planning more than 27,000 acres into a world destination vacation wonderland. So as the plans developed for a Disneyland-style theme park, Imagineers wanted this Magic Kingdom to differ from Walt's original kingdom. And so one of the Disneyland realms they believed would not work at the Magic Kingdom was New Orleans Square due to its proximity to the real New Orleans. So the Imagineers went back to look at some of Walt's ideas for Disneyland, including Edison Square and Liberty Street that could serve as alternative lands. And they discovered that much of the pre-work for Liberty Street had been completed back in the 1960s by Walt Disney, Marvin Davis, Sam McKim, and James Algar. And he was the director of the True Life Adventure series for, um, for, um, and for Liberty Street mm-hmm. also and One Nation Under God. And their work included extensive research several scripts, and a detailed model theater. So it was decided to include Liberty Square as a unique land to the Magic Kingdom, and it would also open in time for the U.S. Bicentennial. Now, the Imagineers regarded this land as a follow-up to great moments with Mr. Lincoln, where they could finally create Walt's dream of one nation under God and build his Hall of Presidents. Now, with advances in audio-animatronic technology through the development of the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean attractions, uh, Imagineers could create even more sophisticated figures. But now they had to create not only one Lincoln, President Lincoln, but 35 other presidents as well. Now, when Imagineering spent... 15 years developing the Hall of Presidents when you take into account all the work done in the 60s. For their preliminary research, the Imagineers referenced hundreds of paintings, thousands of photographs, over 300 periodicals, and more than 600 books to make sure they achieved an accurate level of detail. 
To get a feel for where our nation's presidents lived and worked, the writers, designers, and painters made several trips to Washington, D.C., Williamsburg, and other historical sites to attain authenticity in their work. After all this work, the Imagineers developed their final plans for their presentation. And now the next step was to begin the production process. For the attraction's film portion, more than a dozen WED artists worked under the supervision of three-time Academy Award winner John DeCur, and they painted more than 85 works, some more than 40 feet long, in styles of the periods in which the depicted action took place. Disney legend Ub Iwerks, and we all know him as Walt Disney's first partner and the original animator of Mickey Mouse, developed a new system to capture the specially made paintings on the 70mm film. And this would be Ub's last project for Disney before he passed away on July 7th, 1971. And it really is technologically awesome. I mean, it's like... Yeah, nowadays you can take a super high resolution photo of any painting, any any work of art and you know digitally can kind of clean it up and make it make it look bigger, but the fact that they had to make these massive paintings and then find a way to to also transfer it to film, it it's just it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. it is the dreams of nerds to create something like that. And here we go back to what we were talking about earlier. Ub he started with Walt in the infancy of animation, and now look at what Ub is doing at the end of his life. He was older, and he's he's developing this this huge new system. You know, in the, in the in the twilight of his years, yeah, I mean, I, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know, you and I, I think both can always get behind anyone praising the work of Ub Iwerks. I, I mm-hmm. know, I know, he's not widely known beyond mega Disney fans, but it, I hope at least basic Disney fans know a little bit about him or at least would recognize his name because his contributions, even though he did leave the company uh, for that time, his contributions to animation as a whole and then moving on into film is just just mind-blowing. So oh, what yeah. an important yeah. person. Oh, yeah, he made significant contributions to the art and the technology because he loved that's when he returned to the studio. He, he worked on special projects, mm-hmm. he created all kinds of things. Uh, it was amazing. And that's what he liked to do. Yeah. He, he liked to tinker and work with his hands and, and invent and create and problem solve. So, a remarkable man. Exactly. So. Now, then there was the challenge of creating the presidents. Again, the Imagineers conducted thorough research to determine their proper height and weight, and this information helped them to establish the president's body positioning and placement on stage. For example, to prevent James Madison from being overshadowed by the presidents around him, he was placed seated because he was the smallest president at five foot four and 100 pounds. 
Now, Imagineer Blaine Gibson, who had so accurately sculpted President Lincoln a few years earlier, was tasked to create all the figures down to the finest detail using all the resources available. Now, Blaine learned as much as he could about the leaders so he could reflect the feeling of each president's personality. Now the presidents had to visit the cosmetologists. The busts were sent to Guatemala where wig makers created authentic hair pieces. And back home, tailors created costumes for each president using fabric, sewing styles, stitches, and fashion styles common during their time in office. Now, when decorating the set and adding personal details to the figures, the Imagineers continued their research to ensure authenticity in the presentation. So they studied antique furniture. For instance, George Washington's chair was an exact reproduction of the one he sat in during the 1787 Constitutional Convention. Each president's shoes, watches, and proper eyeglasses were specially made. President Franklin D. Roosevelt was given a Phi Beta Kappa key to wear on his jacket and braces on his legs, which he wore due to his having polio. And Presidents Andrew Johnson, Hayes, and McKinley wear lapel pins from the Civil War era. And although most of these details are rarely noticed by guests, they provide the detailed authenticity Walt Disney always demanded from his staff. Yeah, this is anytime you hear anyone talk about the Disney details, this is one of the perfect examples of mm -hmm. the details that go into the attractions and parks. And, you know, the argument can be made whether or not a lot of times these details still get made. Obviously, when you see stuff like Pandora, it, it's clear that there are still Imagineers who are looking back at what was done before them. But yeah, putting in all those little touches that might never get noticed, but they're there because they're authentic. That is truly what sets Disney apart from other oh, places. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they even, um, I think President Bush, he wore a Timex Inaglow watch and they recreated it. I, and I think President Clinton actually gave them one of his watches That's awesome. for his figure. So, um, yeah, it's amazing because who would see a lapel pin? Yeah, you know, we're sitting so far away, but again, it's 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 still some because Walt Disney believed, even though we might not consciously notice it, um, we unconsciously notice it. Yeah. So in our minds, it adds realism. Yeah, that's um, to that, it. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, the facade for the Hall of Presidents is a tall, stately brick building in the neoclassical style, which was popular during the mid-18th century for churches and political and public buildings, and is intended to resemble Philadelphia's Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed in 1776, and the United States Constitution was drafted and ratified in 1787. So the facade was originally flat brick in 1971, with three windows directly above the three doors leading into the lobby. Um, in 1973, an addition to the facade included the white veranda, the breezeway, and several columns holding up a portico, an a triangular pediment, 
and windows with triangular and round pediments above them. A large blue sign reading the Hall of Presidents with six gold stars and the Great Seal of the United States is on the front edge of the portico. A clock tower topped with a belfry and steeple tops the building, and the gold date of 1787 is centered within the pediment of the building, and that's the date the U.S. Constitution was ratified. And that's uh, that's my favorite part, because that's where Sam Eagle pops out of. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and, and if I had a musket, you know what would happen to old Sam Eagle when he pops out of there. See, so. I, I held off from making a comment about, well... Hall of Presidents was supposed to be added in a show about the Declaration of Independence. We got both of those, but I held off then. I had to say something now. Yeah, I knew you were going to bring those Muppets <laughs> in, in this somehow. I have so. to. <laughs> so Now, unlike great moments with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland, uh, Walt Disney World's Hall of President did not have a corporate sponsor when it opened on October 1st, 1971. So the Hall of Presidents required an e-coupon and that was a value of 90 cents and ticket books uh, were dropped in 1980 so when the hall of presidents debuted on opening day of the magic kingdom critics described it as a vast and stirring tableau the heart of the presentation remained true to walt disney's original concepts for the attraction one of the first things guests see when entering the lobby area is the Great Seal of the United States, crafted out of 100% wool carpet. It took two acts of Congress for the Great Seal of the United States to be placed in the Hall of Presidents. Also found in the lobby are a number of presidential portraits. Uh, these are reproductions of paintings commissioned by each president during his term in office. Benches line the wall of the large rotunda area. Above the benches are paintings used in the film portion of the attraction, including 1787 Philadelphia and the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Buddy Baker's underscore for the film plays as the background music for the lobby. Once a cast member informs guests that it's time to enter the theater, we enter through several sets of wide doors, leading to a large theater seating close to 700. So let's take a look at the various presentations that have been shown through the years. Now, from 1971 through 1993, the presentation saw very few changes. Uh, it begins with a film presentation of the history of the United States, showing that the American way was forged through conflict and many long years of struggle. The main idea of the film is that the United States is not free from improvements and certain changes have proven necessary over the years. The film also celebrates the liberties of the American people, the United States Constitution, and the progress of America in its early years. With the help of paintings from the era, the Philadelphia Convention is reenacted. Now, George Washington, voiced by Disney veteran Paul Fries, and of course, we most famously know him as the Haunted Mansion ghost host, and Benjamin Franklin, who was voiced by actor Lawrence Dobkin, are heard making speeches to the convention. And they assured all that this government was going to be different. After the formation of the Constitution, the first test of the New Republic was the Whiskey Rebellion, which proved that the government would use force to ensure domestic tranquility. 
Years later, President Andrew Jackson, he's voiced by Dallas McKinnon, the narrator of Disneyland's Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland, was the first president to deal with the possibility of secession by the southern states. Luckily, the talk was quelled and Jackson escaped this threat. The film then segues to the time of Abraham Lincoln, and he is voiced by Royal Dano, who had voiced President Lincoln in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, when secession was a real threat. And these paintings and vocal performances are similar, if not identical, to the same segment in the Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln presentation. The American Civil War portion of the presentation is based on the Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln presentation, including a nearly identical script, although to fit the much larger screen of this theater compared to the much smaller one at Disneyland, new paintings were required to fill the screen. But the Constitution survived the conflict, making America a truly unified nation. A huge area of, era of progress occurred after the war. All the while, the Constitution remained the tentpole of the country. The film then turns toward the future, saying that the leaders of tomorrow have to be committed to the Constitution and its principles, if the country is to survive. A Saturn V rocket takes off, and the screens then lift up, and the U.S. presidents take center stage. After the curtain lifts, all then 36 presidents are called in chronological order. At the time the attraction opened in 1971, the roll call ended with Richard M. Nixon. Each one responds to their name with a nod, wave, or other sign of acknowledgement. During the presentation, the presidents fidget, talk to each other, and look around, which provides realism to the presentation. Abraham Lincoln then stands and takes center stage. His speech is very similar to the speech he gave in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And after his speech, the show concludes with a rendition of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the same rendition used in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. With each new inauguration, Blaine Gibson was tasked to create a likeness of our nation's newest president to add to the show. And although he retired from WED in 1983, Blaine partnered with Walt Disney Imagineering for many years to carry on the tradition. By 1971, Blaine had found Lyndon Johnson to be the easiest president to sculpt, whilst he was the most unsatisfied with the Nixon bust. Uh, the values of the president's dark hair and eyes heavily contrasted with that of his light skin color. Um, Blaine studied Jimmy Carter so well during the presidential debates that he didn't make his usual sketches before sculpting. Um, Blaine um, already had a strong mental image, so he developed a particular interest in the strength of Carter's eyes. And according to Marty Scalar, when First Lady Rosalind Carter came to see the Hall of Presidents, she remarked on her audio-animatronic husband's wardrobe, Oh my goodness, who gave you that terrible suit? And she donated a new one. <laughs> Um, there's a certain tendency for him to erupt into a smile spontaneously, Blaine said about Ronald Reagan. And studying Reagan's inner sense of humor, he successfully captured the president's Irish twinkle. On election night, Blaine concluded that it would be easier to sculpt 
the president-elect Bill Clinton as his light-colored hair and face had similar values. You need a monochromatic scheme because the values come together better, he explained. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't remember. I would have been so young. You might have. Yeah, and you just don't recall. Yeah, I I think the only time I would have saw it was 1992. But I I love the idea of this show. Uh, I think it, it definitely hit all the right points. The only thing I would add on to it, too, is which eventually they did was get a little bit from from Washington. Mm hmm. But that, just my thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've seen every iteration of the Hall of Presidents because uh, I think it's a it's an absolutely remarkable presentation. It's Especially when you know what goes into it. Yeah, it's yeah. always been one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, a must do for me when I go to the Magic Kingdom. Just as great moments with Mr. Lincoln is when I go to Disneyland. Yeah. So, so now in 1993, the Hall of Presidents closed in early September and was then completely renovated and reopened in October 1993 after Bill Clinton had been elected to office. The changes to the show, which in some form remain to this day, are credited to Eric Foner, a history professor at Columbia University, and he was able to persuade various Disney executives, most notably then-Disney CEO Michael Eisner, that a new adaptation of the show was needed. Foner is responsible for completely rewriting and changing the script of the show, so it focused more on slavery and other ethical and civil-related issues in the United States. He is also responsible for rewriting Lincoln's speech, which was originally nearly identical to the one Lincoln gave in the original version of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. And due to Royal Dano being ill, Lincoln was now voiced by Disney Studio veteran Pete Renaday, and we know him best as the voice of Country Bear Jamboree's MC Henry and the narrator for a while of the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. Now, whilst the format of the show remained in the sense of the photos, films, and other features used in the film and in the presentation, the speed at which the films played and what was shown of them was redone to fit the change script. So, and a new music score was also introduced. Also, prominent members of the Disney company no longer narrated parts of the film. Instead, Maya Angelou narrated the revised script and gave the roll call of the U.S. presidents. New amateur actors gave the voices of the characters in the film. Another feature that was added in 1993 was a speech given by the sitting U.S. president. Now, after the White House staff reviewed a speech written by Imagineers and lyricist Tim Rice, the president personally approved the idea, also noting to the Imagineers his shoe size, 13D, and his inseam. After working with the president's busy schedule to arrange a September recording session with the president, an even more daunting task faced audio-animatronics programmers at Walt Disney Imagineering. We see our current presidents on television every day, so it's harder to make them believable, explained Imagineering executive Patrick Brennan. 
Similarly, Blaine Gibson once compared sculpting modern-day presidents to painting a family portrait. Ultimately, the audio-animatronic Clinton proved amazingly lifelike. The Imagineers even incorporated the president's closed-fist-thumb-up gesture, which they first noticed whilst filming the president. Following the current U.S. president's speech, Abraham Lincoln gave the completely revised speech written by Foner. Uh, The Lincoln audio-animatronic figure was also given eyeglasses and held a piece of paper to glance to and from his speech. Some objected to this, saying that it dumbed down the depiction of Lincoln as a prominent and iconic figure. They also did this uh, to the Disneyland figure as well. Um, so, So did you see this version, Craig? Yeah, I absolutely would have had to. But... I again, I would have, you know, I would have saw it probably up until I would have saw it in 96 and then 2000. And I don't even remember if I would have done it when I came in 2000. So I would say I definitely probably saw it in 96. Okay, good. But my memory's a little off. I I remember it (laughs) from every president on. Mm -hmm. So not that there's been a lot. Well, well, then you remember the 2001 update to the show saw the addition of President George W. Bush with his speech, and his recording session was reported to have lasted only about six minutes. He was was very efficient. Um, Actor J.D. Hall replaced Maya Angelou as the narrator, but he read from the same script as the 1993 version. Uh, The auto-animatronic figure created for Clinton in 1993 was recycled and used for Bush, and Clinton is now a lesser audio-animatronic figure. So now we know what happens um, to them as they leave office. (laughs) Yeah, do you think that... um do you think that happens all the time now still? You know, it makes sense that that happens, that they change the skin, but they still use the same, um, you know, still use the, the same inner workings. Although now yeah. they seem to, they're, they're making so much progress in technology of the AA figures. It sounds like they're completely recreating them. Yeah, that, that was my only thought on it is that technology it seems like technology advances between each uh, each president that it, I feel like they would have to do new animatronics now. But mm-hmm. that's just a wild guess. Yeah, especially if they're two-term presidents. Uh, they're, you know, because that's yeah. like eight years. Exactly. Like, a lot of advancement. That's a great point. So, yeah. Um, Now, before the 2009 updates to the show, including the addition of President Barack Obama, the Hall of Presidents was closed between October 31st, 2008 and July 1st, 2009 to undergo an extensive renovation to upgrade its audio and visual effects and systems. The clip of the Saturn V launch was replaced with footage showing the first launch of the space shuttle Columbia. And this footage had been recycled from the original version of Universe of Energy at Epcot Center. 
Uh, when Obama recorded his speech for the updated show on March 4th, 2009 in the White House map room, he also recorded himself once again reciting the oath of office of the President of the United States. Morgan Freeman replaced J.D. Hall as narrator for the 2009 revised show, which focused on the relationship between our nation's presidents and the American people. New paintings, photographs, and video clips are displayed alongside brilliantly restored original artwork. For the Obama figure itself, Blaine, then 90 years old, passed on his sculpting tradition to his apprentice, Valerie Edwards. George Washington was added as a third speaking president, which is followed by a chorus of America the Beautiful. But, now this is interesting, early memos in the Walt Disney archives reveal these were original concepts by Walt Disney and his staff back to the 1950s. So there remains a connection to Walt in the 21st century version of the Hall of Presidents. Now, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Barack Obama were A100 model audio-animatronic figures, a line of the most advanced, lifelike, and expressive human figures Walt Disney Imagineering had ever built. The Hall of Presidents closed on January 17, 2017, for refurbishment and the addition of Donald Trump as a new audio-animatronic figure. It was initially announced that it would reopen on June 30, 2017. However, that date was pushed out. And that sparked rumors that Disney was rethinking giving President Trump a speaking role. Disney denied those reports, stating, We have been working closely with the current White House, just as we have with previous administrations, and the president's recording session has been scheduled. Now, the attraction officially reopened on December 19, 2017, with the addition of the Trump um, animatronic that Disney stated features the latest advances in technology that enable smoother and more lifelike movements. The lobby rotunda has also been enhanced with additional presidential memorabilia, uh, Lyndon Johnson's monogram boots, uh, Gerald Ford's ski poles, Thomas Jefferson's pocket watch, and two gowns that were worn by First Ladies Betty Ford and Grace Coolidge. I remember when we looked at all this, um, when you and I went in here to see the new um, presentation. Yeah. Yeah, and we thought, oh, yeah, there's a lot of new things here. But most notably, there is now an exhibit titled Walt Disney, an American Original, that features Walt Disney and the great moments with Mr. Lincoln attraction, which served as the basis for the Hall of Presidents. And I think that is such a nice touch. Yeah, I love the Redon Lobby area. Mm -hmm. It's not, not massive changes. But I think very appropriate changes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it it gives it a complete different feel. So yeah. it, it really does. I think it tells the story better going into the the next part than than the older pre show did. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I like that they um, they set. The, uh, they explain better the purpose of the Hall of Presidents and why Walt wanted it, and. Um, that you know, it's not a homage to one man. Yeah. The current sitting president. It's it's 
it, it's an acknowledgement of our country and the uniqueness, the concept of the presidency, which had never been done before, the peaceful transition of power that had never been done before yeah. in another country. It, when it goes through the Civil War, the, when it ended, nor, you know, the Confederate States, they were a defeated nation. In other civil wars, leaders would have been executed or exactly. Everybody was allowed to go home. Well, you know, Jefferson Davis and all that, he ended <laughs> up leaving the country. But people were allowed to go home and resume lives. It didn't go as smoothly as Lincoln had hoped. But, uh, but of course, he was assassinated. So we don't know how it would have gone. Yeah. He lived through his presidency. But... Um, just very different. And that's what this attraction is about. And I don't think we can lose sight of that. Um, it's not to it's not a tribute to one man. It is a tribute to this remarkable democratic republic that we all have a voice in. And um, you know, and and it 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 was the first of its kind, and it survives to this day. And Michael, I think we might need to just station you out front <laughs> of the attraction and let everyone know, uh, because sadly, I, I don't think a lot of people have gotten the memo that you clearly picked up on. I believe the exact same thing, and with the controversy surrounding adding Trump, I think just way too many people did lose sight of what the purpose of the attraction is. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I do understand the argument of, of it's it, keep my, keep history out of the parks, but it's, it, it's just too important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, yeah. And, and now the, and what, there's also a nice touch to this. Well, first of all, when entering the theater, we do see an interesting addition. There, there are now decorative spikes along an orchestra pit in front of the stage. But again, a nice touch is the film begins with a dedication to the memory of Walt Disney. And again, states restates the purpose of the Hall of Presidents. Mm -hmm. And and then it's followed by a new widescreen short film titled The Idea of a President. And as in past films, we follow the presidency from the early days through major United States and world events. Uh, the film highlights some of the major dilemmas faced by Washington, Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and others. Uh, it also addresses challenges that face our nation, uh, such as race relations and wage disparity. Uh, the, and, but that we, we, we rise up to the challenge when we unite Exactly. Um, as a country. Um, and that, you know, we're not perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not a perfect country. Yeah. If you're familiar with the last iteration of the show, you know, they, they focus a little bit more individually on uh, some of the, uh, like Andrew Jackson, for instance, he gets a big part. That's no longer in it because it went mm -hmm. with that theme, as Michael just said, about how we overcome obstacles as a nation. And mm -hmm. I think that was that was a nice touch. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And the theater projection and sound systems are upgraded, making for a fully engulfing video that stretches across the entire theater. 
Um, Abraham Lincoln still stands and speaks. The audio animatronic figure is state-of-the-art and very fluid in movement. Um, whilst Lincoln's voice has changed, his, Getty, his Gettysburg address remains the same. Yeah, I do miss the, the build-up to this mm-hmm. moment at, from the, the old show. I think that was a, a better version of it, but of course I can see a very similar to that version if I just go out to Disneyland. And watch great moments. That's true. That's yeah. true. So we we have the beginning, the, where it originated at Disneyland, and then we have the the one that continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, as our country continues to evolve. So um, now the new montage includes a scene with President Barack Obama, which leads into the screens rising and revealing all 45 American presidents. Uh, the Barack Obama figure has been moved to stand next to his contemporaries, to Bill Clinton, and he's seated. Um, b- he's behind a seated George W. Bush. In his speech, the President Trump figure says, above all, to be American is to be an optimist, to believe that we can always do better, and that the best days of our great nation are still ahead of us. And this mirrors the same philosophy that guided Walt Disney, and reminds us that the Hall of Presidents is also a tribute to Walt and his vision. So, Craig, do you, do you think an attraction like Hall of Presidents of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, we've been talking about this, they, they still have a place in a modern Disney theme park, or have they lost their relevance with this modern generation? I, this is a loaded question. I, I see it both ways. With Walt Disney World, I, I think it has lost a bit of its relevance uh, especially with with the crowds as a more uh, heavily dominated foreign market comes into Walt Disney World I, I know some are interested in learning our history like uh, when I used to have British friends that lived in Florida they always got a kick out of going to Hall of Presidents and and the American Adventure and seeing how we represent our country through those eyes. So I, I do know that uh, that some people give it a chance, but I, I feel like it it is starting to lose its relevance and that does upset me because as a as a Disney fan, I, I think it especially Hall of Presidents, I think it has a, a perfect place in in the Magic Kingdom. It just it it's one of those things. I I see this show very regularly not not every single time i go into the park because i i don't always have that that 25 minutes to sit down and watch it the whole way through but but i i would say i definitely see it every other couple visits or so and it's just it's a moving show despite who the the speaking president is it was Mm -hmm. great when it was it was great when it was Bush. It was great when it was Obama. It, I still believe it's great now that Trump's speaking in it, and it's something that I think everyone should see. And to go over to great moments with Mr. Lincoln, it, this show is phenomenal. I mm-hmm. I love it. It It's one of those things I didn't see it the very first time. I went to, to Disneyland way back when, and I, I didn't even see it, I think, the first couple times that... I, I returned 
once I was an adult and working with the Diz. And then finally, once I got in that theater and I was able to watch the show, even though it was, you know, the same footage that I've seen before, it's just, it, it's perfect. It's perfect in its location. It's perfect with the length of the show, the the feeling that you get during it. I, I would be devastated if it ever left Disneyland's Main Street USA the same way I would be devastated if they ever did take Hall of Presidents out of Magic Kingdom. I, I believe these, even though the audience changes and makes it less relevant, I, I think they do have a, a place in the parks and just keep going to it so that way it never loses popularity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree. And I think if Parents, you know, parents, if they're worried, oh, the children are going to be bored, I think if you prep them for it, and again, explain, you know, first of all, the connection to Walt Disney, and also just what this is about, what this celebrates, and how unique it is, you know, how unique our country is. Yeah. And that, you know, then I think I have a greater appreciation for it. But you have to build it up. You know, yeah. build it up a bit. Well, so. here's uh, <laughs> kind of to go off that. At the end of the day, history is just storytelling. And mm-hmm. who doesn't enjoy a form of storytelling? Any kid out there that is sitting down in front of a TV is getting served stories in just in a different format, a different medium than what this is. It is an exciting story. Our nation has been through so much and you know, I, I wish I could say I remember every little fact that I got going through going through all of my schooling. And unfortunately, I don't. And the older I get, the more it keeps falling out of my brain. And that's and not something I like to admit, but it is the honest truth. But it's, it is still just such a captivating story of our nation. It has not always been perfect. It's been downright... It, you know, history is there are disgusting parts of our country that I think we all know about the the bad eras. And you could argue at this day, what what will we look back on in another hundred years from now and look at the current state of of our country? Is it good? Is it bad? I, I don't know yet. I'm not I'm not going to probably be around at that point to even make that decision. But it, it's so important. And it's it's exciting, and it's something that everyone should care about. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, too, that makes the United States unique from other countries is, yeah, we've had ugly parts to our history. We don't hide them. Yeah. We display them. We talk about them. We learn from them. We don't bury them, you know, um, uh, I mean, we ca- we carry the guilt for generations yes. in our country sometimes. So, you know, sometimes we forget to celebrate our accomplishments and our achievements and our, our unity because we get caught up in, in uh, sometimes in our embarrassments as a nation. But that, that is something that does make our country great, is we don't hide our frailty. We, we, we wear them on our sleeves for, yeah. for the world to see, but we learn from them, and we move forward. So, and, and again, that's what Hall of Presidents is about, is, is that message that we learn from our mistakes and we move forward. I think you put it perfectly. 
here we are for your very favorite part of the show, <laughs> This Day in Disney History Quiz. And I've been getting a lot of positive feedback about this, Craig. Excellent. So, yeah, it's, it's fun yeah, to do, so I'm glad people are having fun listening to it. Yeah, well, and, and you're going to have fun this week. We have a new contestant this week coming to to test your knowledge direct from the Diz Unplugged podcast Disneyland edition is our very own Mary Jo Mulatto Willie. Mary Jo, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Hello and thank you. Uh, so so tell us a little about yourself. What do you do? <laughs> um, I go to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to yep. think of something something clever like uh, my hobby is you know collecting butterflies and you know you know how they do it on those game shows you know so anyway so so now now Mary Jo of course is is our expert on Disneyland but but we'll see how uh, how how good her knowledge is on all things Disney as we as we uh test her her knowledge of what's happened in the world of Disney for the week of February 18th. Now, our rules are simple. If you will get three points, if, if you don't hear the multiple choice answers and get, get the answer correctly, two points if you choose to hear the multiple choice answers, um, one point if you ask to have an incorrect answer removed, or if, let's say, Craig gets the answer wrong and you decide to steal it and you give the correct answer, you'll get a point for that one. Okay, so Mary Jo, you all set? I am. Good, Craig, you all set? Yes. Okay, so Mary Jo, since you are our guest, um, would you like to receive the question or hand it off to Craig? I think, you know what, I'm going to receive. Okay. I'll be a little brave this time. We'll see how we go. Okay, sounds good. All right. So this is for February 18th. The Disney short Mickey's Surprise Party is released to this company for marketing purposes on February 18th, 1939. Ooh. Okay. Can I have a multiple choice, please? Sure. Is it A... Hostess Brands, B, Nabisco, C, Entenmann's, or D, Sara Lee? This is Mickey's Surprise Party, February 18th, 1939. You know, I'm going to take a Welsh. I'm going to try Nabisco. That's B, right? You're right. And you are right. Wow. That is Nabisco. Minnie's biscuits are spoiled when she accidentally gets unpopped popcorn into the dough and the whole batch explodes. The commercial short is made for the National Biscuit Company, and which is Nabisco, and will be shown at the 1939 New York World's Fair and the San Francisco Golden Gate Exposition. It is also the last short to feature Marcelite Garner as the voice of Minnie Mouse. So, Mary Jo, you're off to a good start with two points. Yay! Excellent. Okay, Craig, over to you for February 19th. What does Disneyland announce will open at the resort on February 23rd, 2010? Uh, Multiple choice. 
A. Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln featuring a new pre-show and new Lincoln audio animatronic figure. B. New remote control boats near the Rainforest Cafe at Downtown Disney. C. An encore performance of Captain EO. D. The addition of 50 new Disney Vacation Club villas and 203 guest rooms at Disney's Grand California Resort and Spa with a new rooftop viewing area for World of Color. Oh, um... That is a doozy, so... I'm just trying to think, right? I mean, my initial thought goes straight to Captain EO, but I'm trying to think. I know Michael Jackson died in, like, June of either 2009 or 2010. So if it was 2009, it maybe makes sense, but um, yeah, I'm clearly just trying to buy myself some time right now. I'll, <laughs> I'll just go with Captain EO. You are correct. They always say, go with your gut. Disneyland announces that Cap- Michael Jackson's 3D film, Captain EO, will return to the park on Tuesday, February 23rd. So, two points. We have a tie oh. score. Very good. Wow. Mary Jo, here's your chance to break the tie. This is for February 20th. AT&T and the Walt Disney Company make this announcement on February 20th, 1995. Oh, I'll have to go with multiple choice. Okay. Is it A, the partnership between AT&T and the Walt Disney Company, making AT&T the official wireless sponsor of Disneyland and Walt Disney World? B, AT&T will not renew its sponsorships of Spaceship Earth at Walt Disney World in Florida and Innoventions at Disneyland in California? C, AT&T would co-sponsor the North American tour of Disney on Ice 100 Years of Magic? Or D, AT&T will sponsor Disneyland's new attraction, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye? I'm going to go with AT&T is going to... What, What year did they announce this? February 20th, 1995. I'm going to say D, Indiana Jones. You are correct. Yeah, they have AT&T and the Mara language throughout the queue. (laughs) Mm -hmm, That's right. And you got those little cards, remember? The Mm -hmm. decoder cards? Yeah. Yes. You're right. Right. AT&T and Walt Disney Company announces their latest project in their 35-year association, the opening of Indiana Jones Adventure in March 1995. Okay. So, Mary Jo, you are ahead with four points. And now, Craig, here you go. So, for February 24th, the 21st, I'm sorry. All right. 4017 Disney, that's D I S N E Y A, is discovered on February 21st, 1980. What is it? Sorry, can you repeat the question one more time? Sure. Sure. 4017, that's 4017, Disney A, or Disney A, is discovered on February 21st, 1980. What is it? Multiple choice. 
Okay. A, the time capsule buried in front of Disneyland's Sleeping Beauty Castle during the park's opening day. B, an asteroid named for Walt Disney. C, the license plate for the first Autopia car now on display at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. D, the original surveyor's marker designating the placement of Sleeping Beauty Castle. Uh, you know what? I'll just go with B, the the <laughs> the space one. An asteroid named for Walt Disney? Yeah, it sounds bonkers, and why not? You know what? Sometimes what's bonkers is true, and that is true. <laughs> the answer is B. 4017 Disneya is a main belt asteroid. It's discovered by Soviet and Ukrainian astronomer Ludmila Georgevna Karak. China. I don't know. She sounds like she should be a, a skater. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm not even going to pronounce where she's from um, it, after what I did to her last name. Um, and it is named for Walt Disney. So That's cool. Um, yeah. It's four to four. Mary Jo, here you can break the tie. February 22nd. This Disneyland attraction opened on February 22nd, 1964. I'll have to get with multiple choice. Okay, is it A, the Below Decks Museum on the sailing ship Columbia in Frontierland? B, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln on Main Street, USA? C, Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room in Adventureland? Or D, Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse in Adventureland? Uh, I think it's the Tiki Room. Is that your final answer? Dang it! I hate when you say that. <laughs> but but I said it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to stay with it. Okay, um, that is incorrect. The Tiki Room opened in 1963. Craig, would you like to steal this for one point? I'm going to try my hardest. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to um, say the um, options again? No, I think I remember all of them. Okay. Uh, I well, I know it can't be great moments with Mr. Lincoln because that would have been at the World's Fair at this time. Uh, sailing ship Columbia. What was D as well? I don't remember that one. Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse in Adventureland. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with A. The Below Decks Museum on the sailing ship Columbia in Frontierland. Yeah. You'd be correct. Okay. Yeah, Swiss Family didn't come out until... Couple, that was like 66, wasn't it? Actually, no. I was climbing that tree in 1962. Oh, wow. Okay, I was completely really? off on that reasoning. Then. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Good thing I didn't say anything <laughs> when, about when, it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mr. Uh, Lincoln opened in 1965. It was um, it opened concurrently with the with the um, World's Fair. So, um, so we I, had was, a, I wonder what was it. Go hmm? ahead, Michael. No, I so we we had a, a slightly more advanced audio animatronic figure in Disneyland than what opened up in um, oh, in the World's Fair. And anyway, what were you going to say, Mary Jo? 
I wonder what's what was below decks and the Columbia ship, if because that's such a cool little museum down in there. I I, don't, so. I think it was just you know an empty hold down there. Yeah, I don't. Wow, I always thought the ship was like that. Yeah, I was just trying to think back to like the they have the one recording on the Disneyland 50th anniversary musical tour set, and there's nothing on that about the museum, and so that's the only thing. That kind of made me think. Well, maybe, maybe when it started, people just stood on deck the entire time mm-hmm. and didn't go down below. Yeah. So anyway, okay, good. Well, Craig, it's five to four, and this one is yours. On February twenty third, nineteen thirty nine, Walt Disney received an Oscar for this film. Did you say nineteen fifty nine? I'm sorry, 1939. On February 23rd, 1939, Walt Disney received an Oscar for this film. Okay. Um, Multiple choice. A, the Disney short, The Brave Little Tailor. B, the feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. C, the Disney short, The Ugly Duckling, or D, the feature film, Pinocchio. Okay. Um, I'll go with Brave Little Taylor. Is that your final answer? Well, clearly it's wrong now, so, yeah. <laughs> no, I always say that. A, almost always. <laughs> okay. Um, it is incorrect. Okay, Mary Jo, you can steal for one point. Oh, gosh. Do you want me to run through these again? No, it's either between Pinocchio or the Ugly Duckling. And... It's got to be Pinocchio. Is that your final answer? No, I changed it to the Ugly Duckling. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's it. You don't get to choose anymore. The answer is B. It's the feature film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Walt Disney received a special Oscar for his 83-minute animated film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at the 11th Academy Awards which were held at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles 11-year-old child star Shirley Temple presents Walt with one statuette and seven miniature statuettes Um, and do you know who came up with the idea for that special Oscar? for the design of that Oscar? it was film director Frank Capra yeah. See, I, I would have thought that he would have won that in 1938, not 1939. Yeah, and that's, the, yeah, that's the exact same thing that I was thinking. That's why I didn't say it. Yeah, except the Academy yeah. Awards, yeah, were held. That's the, It was awarded in the 1939 Academy Awards. I don't know why. So, um, yeah, it's like a um, trick also, question then. Dumb. I know. <laughs> also, that's why I chose it, because I thought, oh, they're going to get it until I saw the year. Um, also awarded is the Disney RKO short Ferdinand the Bull for best short subject. Uh, mm-hmm. And it and it, bought, it beat out four other animated shorts, including Disney's Brave Little Tailor. Mm-hmm. And this is the first Academy Awards show without any official host. So. All righty. Okay, February 24th. Okay, I think this is Mary Jo's now. Okay, um, 
So, Mary Jo, the Walt Disney Company announces this collaboration on February 24th, 1997. Oh, I'm going to have to go with multiple choice. Okay. Okay, is it A, a multinational promotional alliance between the Walt Disney Company and McDonald's Corporation? B, Sylvania's sponsorship of Disneyland's new nighttime parade, Light Magic? C, the Walt Disney Studio and Pixar Animation Studio will jointly produce five films. D. Walt Disney Animation and Walt Disney Television plans for launching Toon Disney. Oh my gosh, I'm so horrible at these. I let me see. I'm trying to think when Light Magic came on. My, I never, you know, I never saw that parade, but my kids did, and they were just as. Um, Underwhelmed as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, it could. Where were the other choices again, Michael? Is it a a multinational promotional alliance between the Walt Disney Company and McDonald's Corporation? B is Sylvania's sponsorship of Disneyland's new nighttime parade, Light Magic. C the Walt Disney Studio and Pixar Animation Studio will jointly produce five films. Or D Walt Disney Animation and Walt Disney Television plans for launching Toon Disney. I'm, I'm still going to go with light magic. Okay. All right. That is incorrect. So um, I don't think Sylvania was he the changed, sponsor. Craig, he's not telling us. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> probably not, right? Because it was LEDs. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, Craig, for one point, do you want to steal this one? Uh, I genuinely, I'm up in the air on it, too. I would say uh, maybe Toon Disney. Okay, you know what? This, this, these Pixar questions are just going to stump you all the time. <laughs> it is C. Walt Disney Studio and Pixar Animation Studio will jointly produce five films. Disney CEO Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs, CEO of Pixar Animation, made this announcement. Uh, I had a feeling it was that, but it just—I <laughs> was thinking of the timeline and. You know, with Bugs Life and Toy Story 2 and when things really started to ramp up, and I just wasn't sure about it, so. Okay. Okay, but I've noticed every time this Pixar and Disney come up. And it's been like everything in January and February, and it's really starting to tick me off. I'll have to keep an eye out for them in March. But anyway, that's it. So, Craig, you squeaked ahead by um, one point. So it was five to four. Mary Jo, that's very respectable for your first yeah. time out. So we'll Thank have, you. Yeah, I feel so good we'll, about it. Yeah, you should. And we'll, we'll have you back next week. See how you fare. Thank nice. you. So until then, we'll see you next time. Now, many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy, The Vault of Walt by Jim Corcus, Walt Disney, an American Original by Bob Thomas, A Historical Tour of Walt Disney World by Andrew Kiste. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Some websites and articles. Uh, the Walt Disney Family Museum had some great articles at waltdisney.org. The Wonderful World of Walt, 
Icon of the American Experience by Jeff Curdy. D23.com has some good articles on the Hall of Presidents and the Disney Wiki. A couple of videos I, I, you might be interested in. I referenced the World of Color episode Seasons of Disneyland. This was broadcast three days after the death of Walt Disney. And it, on when it aired, it was preceded by a memorial tribute by Dick Van Dyke and newsman Chet Huntley. It is available on the DVD Walt Disney Treasures, Disneyland Secret Stories and Magic. And it is on YouTube. So you might want to check that out. Also, if you would like to see the the current version of the Hall of Presidents, I want to direct you to a, an absolutely beautiful video of it that my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams did for the Diz. Um, it, it's, it's very beautifully rendered, and because of Craig's uh, camera work, you can see some of these details that we talked about. Um, that the Imagineers put into this. Also, I became fascinated with the movements of the presidents in some of the close-ups. I thought there was one president who was going to faint because he'd been standing so long so you just keep seeing him <laughs> shifting his feet so much and all that. But the, when Craig um, zoomed in for close-ups of some of the speaking presidents, you see some of the details of the surrounding presidents and the work that the Imagineers put in to tiny little movements and shuffling of feet and all that. And that really made me realize that, you know, that does make it more real. It is registering subconsciously when, when you see these little movements oh, yeah. that the presidents are doing, even though you're not focused on them. Yeah, so It's brilliant. It's one of my favorite aspects of Hall of Presidents is when yeah. you see them just even it just looks like sometimes they're just like jittering real quick. But mm-hmm. it's all intentional. It's not it's not the audio animatronics starting to to go haywire and about to come and attack you. It's all just it's little ticks. But and you see presidents whispering to each other, and I always yeah. used to think, I wonder what the Imagineers have them saying. You know, <laughs> if only we could get that close. I'd never sat in the front row for Hall of Presidents. Believe it or not, like the first time I sat in the front row for American Adventure was literally just this past weekend mm-hmm. because I wanted to get up close and start seeing these shows from a different aspect. I'm always so used to sitting in the back row so I don't disrupt people with my camera that it's like now I, I want to see everything as close as possible, try to hear, see all the movements, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's wild. Always try yeah. to look at these things in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Craig did a great job with that video. So we'll have a link to it in our show notes. Yes. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the compliment. So I'd also like to thank my lovely research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling, for her invaluable work locating the additional material I needed for this episode. So, Craig, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged? Like always, you can find me on a bunch of shows throughout the week, on the Universal Show, on the Disney World Edition podcast, on which should be the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, but I don't think I'll ever win that fight. And the Daily Fix and, you know, random videos popping up here and there and everywhere. And as I always say, you can always follow me on Twitter at Teleclaster and I will I will talk back to you sometimes on there when I'm mm-hmm. in the mood, which happens sometimes. But Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. That's actually the best way to send me 
like private messages, I start losing track of all the ones, all the other private messages on Facebook and all that. And um, at Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, that's Michael Bowling. That's the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Um, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling, the Diz. And of course, we have our Connecting with Walt Twitter page. That's at Connecting Walt. So, uh, so join us and uh, there and check out what's going on there. And that's another way you can um, talk to me and Craig, um, you know, there too, as well as learn even more about what's going on in Disney history. So, if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers in Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disneyunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And join us next time. Who would have thought we'd say that in February, huh? Join us next time when Craig and I share our pop corn and view the next set of turner classic movies treasures from the disney vault exciting it is it is i've been um doing a lot of research on those and i'm very excited to yeah. talk about these films there's some really good ones yeah absolutely yeah some good shorts too good cartoon shorts yeah, they're a good mix on this one so mm-hmm. it, we'll, we'll talk about it next week but get your yeah. dvrs ready that's right. Yeah. Clear all the, the Olympic games you've been recording. <laughs> yep. um, so thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>